church. It's good to be with you uh, this morning. I want to invite us to a time of prayer this morning as we begin uh, our time in the Word. Uh, Let's pray together right now. God, I I ask this morning that your Spirit would would refresh us, would enliven us, God, would bind us together, and would call us forth to be your people in this world. God, I thank you for for your Word and, and the story it tells, and the life that's given and inspired through your spirit. And I pray this morning again that you would speak uh, again. I, I pray this morning you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our lives and our hearts. It's the name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone said, amen. Well, there's a trend going on in, in America right now that researchers have been looking at that I've been paying attention to. And, and it's something they're calling the, the trend of the rise of the nuns. And when I say nuns, I'm not talking about N-U-N-S. I'm talking about N-O-N-E-S, the nuns. And nuns are those who self-identify as atheistic or agnostic or uh, if they were to identify themselves by uh, church affiliation, they would say, really, I don't have a a church that I would affiliate with. And, And it's been interesting to see Pew Research and how they have seen this increase in our generation and really overall of this group called the nuns, again, self-identified as such. Uh, in fact, Pew Research did this study in 2007, and 16% of the American population considered themselves uh, nuns at that time. But now, uh, actually just two years ago, in 2014, that number had risen to 23% of the American population. You see a trend like that, and it, it makes you ask questions about our world, about our church, about uh, what God seems to be up to. But the shift even uh, is more significant when you begin to look at the uh, different generations and how they identify themselves. Uh, If you put that up there right now, you can kind of see that the silent generation is 11% would consider themselves as nuns. Those are those that are born before uh, the end of World War II. But then you get on to the baby boomers, that's 17%. But the number keeps rising. It's 23% for Generation X, those born 65 to 80. But then you get into millennials. My generation, the older millennials, 34% identify themselves as nuns. That's one in every three millennials. And then younger millennials, we even see an increase to 36%. Now that's an obvious trend. I believe there are many reasons for that trend. And one of the phrases that I hear amongst nuns and really amongst church people in, in this generation especially is this phrase, I'm spiritual but not religious. And I think I get where that comes from. There's this sense among our generation, and really maybe it's always been the case, that people are drawn to Jesus, they're drawn to Scripture, they're drawn to the teachings of Jesus, they're just not so sure about church and about this institution uh, of religion. And they have a point. it, It sounds great, connect with God, not having to connect with all the brothers and sisters in the family. Any of you who've had tough family dynamics, you know church can look similar uh, some of the time. But this reaction against institutions didn't actually start with, with millennials. It actually started, well, with baby boomers, right? It was in the 1960s, this kind of response against institution and seeing all the excesses and problems that occurred that began to move us in a different direction as a nation, as a culture, as a people. And it's continued on, and we see this trend uh, in some serious ways. But i got to tell you, this didn't start in the 1960s. There's been this shift uh, coming for a long time now. We've seen people that have had this identification. I'm spiritual, but not religious. They may not have used those words, but it's been true for centuries. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to encourage you to open to uh, Acts chapter 8. Acts 
chapter 8. If you know the story of Acts at all, you know that the, 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 it's the story of the early church. And the early church gets started at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down and 3,000 are baptized on that day. Well, as the story goes on, they begin to spread out. Persecution pushes them out of Jerusalem, and they begin to share the message of good news in Judea and Samaria and all, all, all the way to the ends of the earth by the end of the story. And here we are today as a result of that movement of the gospel. But I want to take you back to the stories that began to get into Samaria because it began to hit some snags and trouble uh, in this scene that I want to read to you from Acts chapter 8. It's a story about Philip, one of the uh, followers of Jesus who begins to share the good news in Samaria. Let's read this together. Acts 8 verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard, Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in in that city. So you kind of read the story along. They've gone to Samaria, and some crazy stuff's going on, right? There's these impure spirits that are coming out with shrieks. A little scary, I'm sure, at the moment, but good things seem to be happening, and the people are being drawn to this. Let's keep reading in verse 9. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Any of you remember this story? Maybe you learned it growing up. This guy, Simon, an incredible story about a guy who, he's doing some kind of major tricks enough that people are calling him the great power of God, which I don't think you get a nickname like that doing card tricks, right? This guy... I don't know if he's in the dark arts or what exactly. Some people would call him a sorcerer or another idea is like a a magician of some kind. But there seems to be a power that's behind him and people have given him this name, the great power of God. But even Simon is amazed by the message that Philip preaches and the response that happens with these impure spirits. It's a great story. Let's keep reading verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles arrive, they see that God seems to be doing a great work, and they lay their hands on these people who've been baptized, and they receive the Holy Spirit. But an already astonished Simon is so amazed by what happens that he begins to wonder if there's more going on here. Now imagine with me, like any kind of magician that you've seen before, like David Copperfield, like having the ego enough to, to be able to step down and say, This guy's doing stuff I can't do. Like, there's an ego that comes with being able to be a sorcerer, I would guess. And he's doing all these great works. He has this great nickname, but he acknowledges something in what's going on with this Holy Spirit that he wants to be a part of. 
because he sees a power that's greater than his own power. This is an opportunity. If Simon, the great power of God, could get the power that these apostles seem to have when they lay on hands, then maybe this could be a career opportunity, right? Simon's seeing and putting things together, and he sees the move that can happen, and he offers money to buy God's power. And if you've ever thought about doing that, let me encourage you to keep reading in verse 20. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord and hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you've said may happen to me. And after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. All right, so here's the question I want to present to you this morning. We've talked about the Holy Spirit. My hope is that you have more of a desire to see the Spirit's power at work in your life. You want to see the fruit of the Spirit in your lives. I hope that's the case. And if it is, here's my question. What is it that's motivating you to have more of the Spirit? Why do you want more of the Holy Spirit? Because I think our motive for desiring the Spirit in our lives is crucial to understand as we move more into this Spirit-empowered life. You see, Simon wants the Holy Spirit for his own benefit. He's thinking what could happen. He's seeing the Spirit as a means to a career end, right? And it probably would work well if he he had this kind of power, but Simon wanted it for his ends. The, The problem is this. The Spirit does not empower us for our ends. The Spirit empowers us to accomplish the ends of God, the kingdom of God established on earth as it is in heaven. So let me be clear this morning. See, the Holy Spirit is not a power or a force that we harness to use for our kingdom visions and dreams. It's all about God's kingdom. It's all about what God's trying to do in the world. And the Spirit is given to us to transform us and to use gifts that the Spirit gives to us for this purpose. This story in Acts 8 brings me to a moment of soul searching. A moment of confession of sorts. It's The question I'm struggling with this week is, why is it that I desire more of a relationship with God? Do I desire that because I desire more of His presence? Or do I desire it because I want the benefits that come along with a relationship with God? You know what I'm talking about, right? Heaven, forgiveness of sins, a church community is a great thing that comes along with it. We I've got to be honest, there have been times where I have preached the gospel message and I've tried to coerce people into the kingdom through the benefits of God rather than establishing in a relationship first and most importantly with them. The problem with that is what you win people with, you win them to. What you win people with, you win them to. And if so what we, if what we promise is the blessings of God, if we promise that God's going to establish us with health and wealth and every good thing on earth and we forget to tell the story about hey, you will have suffering in this world if you're a follower of mine. That's not the deal. The deal is, and the promise is, you have my spirit, not that everything's going to go perfectly in your life. And sometimes that's what we pitch to people, is if you walk through this door, you're going to have everything you ever need. And it's no wonder they give it up when what they converted to was the blessings of God rather than an intimate relationship with the living God. The same is true of the Spirit. If we desire the Spirit so we can do miraculous acts that draw attention to ourselves, we're missing the point of the Holy Spirit because spiritual gifts are not given to us to make us famous. Spiritual gifts are given to us to point to Jesus and to make Him famous. The Spirit gifts us for this purpose. 
And this is the very issue that Paul writes to in Scripture. One of the churches he's dealing with is dealing with a struggle when it comes to spiritual gifts, and it's about drawing attention to themselves rather than pointing themselves as signs to Jesus. It's in the book of 1 Corinthians I want to go to right now. If you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 10 to 12 is a section that talks about spiritual gifts and about this problem that's going on at Corinth. What I wish we had was the letter that Paul seems to get from the Corinthians describing the issue or Somehow he gets word that there's some issues going on in this church. And the issue seems to surround this. In in the pagan culture around Corinth, many of them had been converted from, people really held a high value on the spiritual gifts that were more public in nature. The ones that were more spectacular in, in some way. And there were other gifts that the Spirit had given, but they didn't seem near as significant. And so they were beginning to look up and place people on pedestals who had these great gifts. Earlier in 1 Corinthians, some are saying, I follow Apollos. And some are saying, I follow Paul and Peter. And he said, no, this isn't about the leaders in the church. That's not what this should be about. And so they're paying more attention to those with more spectacular gifts, gifts of healing and prophecy and tongue speaking. And those with lesser gifts, more internal gifts, gifts of faith and knowledge uh, and wisdom. These are gifts that are mentioned in this chapter as well. Well, that's not quite as significant. Uh, But in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, Paul gives a summary statement about why these gifts are given. I think it's important for us to understand this as we enter into this life with the Spirit and understand the gifts that are offered to us. This is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Now that each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, is given for the common good. This is vital to understand as we think about our spiritual gifts. Why are we gifted by the Spirit of God? We're gifted by the Spirit of God for the common good. We are given spiritual gifts so that we can play a role in the church family as part of God's kingdom that he's trying to launch in the world. Drop down to verse 27 as we read on about his words. 12.27. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And God is placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, uh, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Paul's challenging these Corinthian Christians, trying to help them see that It's a message of correction that for some in that community, they were saying these people are more significant because of this. And if you don't have these gifts, you must not be near as spiritual. But what Paul says is, no, the Spirit gifts differently for the sake of the body. Some are teachers and some are evangelists and some some play this role and some play that role. And all of that's important because without all of those gifts to the body, we wouldn't function as God has called us to function. Clearly, Paul assumes that people have these different gifts. Not everyone's a teacher, not everyone's an apostle, not everyone has this gift or that gift, but we are to eagerly desire the greater gifts. Verse 1 of 13, let's keep reading. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love. I have nothing. This is a challenge to those first century Christians. 
Hey, you can have the greatest gifts in the world, but if you do not work out those gifts, if you don't offer those gifts in love, it's as annoying as a clanging cymbal. It's not, it's not worth anything. You might as well just put that gift away because the gifts are given for the sake of the body. The gifts are given to build up the body. They're to be used with love. And I don't think this is just a, a word for the first century. I think this is a word for us as well because we do this, don't we? We put certain gifts on certain pedestals. And it may not look like the same as the first Corinthian church. And we, look, we put other gifts in other levels and and we think no matter how it's used, uh, well, we just need to have those gifts displayed. No, we, we desire to have those gifts used in love to build up the body. That's the standard Paul gives us. So no matter what your gift is, use it, but use it with love. Use it for the sake of others. We are called to serve one another with love. Paul clearly tells the Corinthians to desire these greater gifts, but, but there's an end he has in mind, and we have to keep that end in mind as we seek these gifts as well. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. But I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. You hear this refrain over and over again, don't you? For the common good, so that the church is built up. Again, if it doesn't edify the church, whether, whether because we don't give that gift in a loving way or because it doesn't build up the church, it's really about pointing to ourselves, it's, it's worthless in the kingdom of God. Finally, fourteen twelve. let me finish with this. So it is with you, since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Paul is clear in these chapters. God has gifted the church with spiritual gifts. And if you were to look around, it'd be amazing to find out how many gifts we have in this place, in this church, that are given in so many different ways. But these gifts are not given for your agenda. They're given for God's agenda. They're given for His kingdom purpose. They're given to build up the church. And, and when you don't use your gifts, it really puts the body at a deficit. It handicaps the body from what all the body is called to do. Here's what I want to say to a generation that's increasingly self-identifies as the nuns, to those with no religious affiliation, to those who may consider themselves spiritual but not religious. There, there are days that I want nothing to do with religion. There are days when I struggle to even identify myself as a Christian because follower of Jesus has a lot less baggage. Because so much evil and harm has been done at the hands of those who claim these labels and these titles. But as I understand what 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 is saying, as I understand the story in Acts chapter 8, what I'm beginning to realize is we are to be spiritual, but we're spiritual for the sake of being religious. Now, I say that, and that makes me cringe because this word religion has all kinds of baggage associated with it. I want to throw the term out almost completely until I begin to look at what the word actually means. Religion goes back, and its etymology goes back to, of course, its prefix, re, which means again, to happen again. But the, the root of the word, lig, is the same root that goes into ligament as well. What's interesting is religion is this thing that we think tears us apart, but the original meaning of the word was that this group, this body of people would actually tie back together what had been broken apart. 
It would ligament again. You know what ligaments are used for? They're to tie bones together. And if you didn't have ligaments, you'd just be a mess of bones on the ground. But religion in its pure state isn't the thing that breaks us apart or separates us. It's the thing that binds us back together in the way God intended for this thing to act in the, in the first place. Which reminds me of another scene in Scripture that I want to take you to as we close today. Ezekiel chapter 37. Some of you probably already know as you're turning there what this passage is. It's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. And if there's ever a word of hope for the church in this generation, I think this is where it stands. Ezekiel 37 verse 1. This is a a vision that Ezekiel has as he's waiting on God to restore his people to the land that he promised. They're a mess in the season and this is what he sees and this is what God prophesies. And may this be a word over our church as well. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you. You will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Don't miss this church. Uh, Here's this vision that Ezekiel has, and he sees these bones that are scattered on the ground. They're dry bones. They seem worth nothing. And his wonder is, could these bones come back together? And his wonder, I think, is for the people of Israel, right? Maybe God will restore us in the ways he's promised. It's my dream. I just can't see it with these bones that are lying here. But he promises something beyond just tendons and skin, more than just ligaments, right? He promises breath. And if you've been paying attention to the series, from, from the first lesson of the series, you remember what I said about spirit, how we define spirit. When it comes to the Hebrew language or the Greek language, the same two words, they can be translated in three different ways. It's the word pneuma. In the Greek, it's the word uh, uh, ruach in the Hebrew. In both of these languages, the word that can be translated as spirit can also be translated as wind or breath. So in Ezekiel 37, when, when, when these bones are here and he's saying, what are you, you going to do, God? Are you going to do something? He says, yeah, I'm going I'm to put skin and tendons on it. You know what else I'm going to put in this body? I'm going to breathe life into it. The same spirit that's going to enliven the church at Pentecost is the same spirit that has hope to do something in Ezekiel's day. See, the Holy Spirit is not given to us so that we can be bones, dry bones that go at it alone. No, the Spirit is given to us so that we might be joined and ligamented together. That's what religion is at its best. So our prayer today is we live in between the times, right? We live in between the resurrection and Christ's return, and we seem like we see dry bones all around us. The nuns are rising, and we're wondering what the future looks like. But the same prophecy to Ezekiel is a word for us today. We need God to tie our bones back together with ligaments, to put skin on them, but most of all, to breathe His breath, His Spirit back into us. Amen? Our hope is that in this day and age, we get to see this, that we get to see this work, but we can't do it alone. It's not about being spiritual, but not religious. It's about being religious in the way it was intended from the very start. God, this is our prayer. 
Would you tie us back together? Would you breathe life into these bones again? There's hope when God breathes his spirit into our dry bones. Amen? So this is where I want to end today with this whole spirit business is we live in a great day and age. It's not a day where we're just waiting on God's future activity. God's doing something today. He's setting his kingdom right. He's building it right here. And our prayer is, God, would you breathe that life again? Would you allow that spirit to move through our dead bones, our dry bones, and make us a living body to be all we need to be to this world? And I'm excited in a couple weeks to share with you the end of this series. It's a word of hope. Yes, we live in a great age of the Spirit, but we're longing for a day when Christ returns. I can't wait to paint that picture for you in a couple weeks. Let's pray as we close our time together. God, we thank you so much for this story in Ezekiel. We thank you so much for the story in Acts and this reminder, God, that, that, that you did this before and you can do it again, God, that we are better together than we are separate. And so, God, right now we ask for you to take our bones, God, and would you bind them back together with skin and with ligaments, God. Help us to be a a people that are spiritual but are also religious. Religious in the sense of being a people who are tied together uh, with what you've given to us. God, gift us and help us to use these gifts with love. May God, most of all, your community see your body at work. We need Christ as our head. We need that breath of life through your spirit given. So God, do that today, we pray. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.